0: Please open your Bibles to Philippians, Philippians 1. If you're using one of the Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 1,247. Next week, Pastor Matt will continue the series on the cross-shaped life out of the Gospel of Mark. Today, we're going to look at reasons to rejoice relentlessly, reasons to rejoice nonstop out of Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. The word of God says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this reading and now this preaching of your word. We pray that you would open our hearts Help us to learn and grow. Help us to see you more clearly and help us to understand how we are to live our lives as your children. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, is your life a life of joy regardless of your circumstances? Joy is the theme of this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Joy. Over and over again, that word comes up. Joy or rejoice. He tells them in chapter 2, verse 18. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. 3-1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. 16 times. Rejoice. Rejoice. Have joy. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Always. Are you a person of joy? When your neighbors look at you, do they say, you know, one, one of the things about this neighbor, you, is that Right When you get right down to the bottom of their heart, it's a heart of joy. Or do they see you more of someone of stress? He's stressed all the time. It's easy to lose our joy, isn't it? It gets sucked out of us because of our circumstances. It gets robbed from, uh, stolen from us. It's so easy. As I'm preparing the sermon and Sunday's coming and I'm stressing because I've got to get the sermon done. And what's my topic? Joy. We all have to learn. The Apostle Paul, as he was writing to the Philippians, knows what he's talking about. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter to the Philippians? In prison. This is one of his prison letters. He's in chains. And he writes to them about having joy. Ten years prior, he he arrived in Philippi And he shares the gospel. Many people come to the Lord. And then a mob grabs him. Rips his clothes off. He gets beaten by rods. Thrown in jail. His feet are put in stocks. And what does he do? He sings praises and hymns to God. He's got joy in his heart. This is a man that knows what he's talking about when he tells us we need to rejoice always. We need to rejoice relentlessly. Without stopping. These first few verses, verses 1 through 11, are basically what he unpacks throughout the rest of the book. And he gives us three reasons to rejoice. We are to rejoice relentlessly. Number one, because of the foundation of our gospel, Lord. Now, I told you that Philippians was primarily about the theme of joy, but that's not exactly true. You see, The word joy or rejoice comes up about 16 times. But Jesus Christ, words like that come up 37 times. You see, the book of Philippians, like every book in the Bible, is all about Jesus. He's our Lord. And so Paul, he wants us to rejoice, but upon the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 1, he says... Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, servants. Now, on the ESV Bible, you got the little little number next to it. It's number one, and if you look down at the bottom, it says slave. The reason why it's translated servant is because slave has such a negative connotation regarding masters, abusive masters, and the last thing we want to do is think of Jesus. As an abusive master. The problem is we miss something when we just think servant and not slave. A servant can be hired, a slave is purchased. And Jesus Christ, as He died upon the cross, as He hung there, as as He shed His blood, He purchased His people. We can have joy because we have been bought, purchased by Jesus Christ. Now, some people may think, well, I don't want to be a slave to anybody. But you're going to be a slave to something. You're either going to be a slave to Satan's sin in the world, or you're going to be a slave to Jesus in righteousness. We can rejoice because we have a benevolent master a loving master, a loving Lord who has purchased us. Paul goes on to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He's writing to the church, but he doesn't say, hey, to you Philippians, their identity isn't first and foremost in where they're from. He says to the saints. Now, when we think saints, many times we think perfection, They've arrived at perfection. But that's not entirely true. We think of, of, uh, we should be thinking more along the lines of a set apart. Something that is set apart, made holy for the Lord. So, for example, Moses in Exodus 30, he takes incense, he has incense made, and it's to be used in the tabernacle. And it's declared... Holy. Holy and saint is the same word. It's declared holy unto the Lord. Now, when that incense was made holy, set aside, set apart for the Lord, did it undergo some sort of change? Did it smell different? Did it undergo some sort of chemical manifestation? No, it was the same. The difference was, is now it's set apart for holy use unto the Lord. And when the Lord Jesus Christ purchases us, our lives change. We become saints. We are set apart for the Lord. From that point in time on, our lives take on a whole new meaning. Now, whether we're working in the house, doing household chores, changing diapers, whether we're at school and studying, whether we're at our workplaces... Everything we do from there on out is unto the Lord. That's exciting. Our lives have purpose and meaning. We give glory to God no matter where we're at and what we're doing. We rejoice because of who we are under our Lord. We're saints, the saints at UPC. Paul goes on. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, receiving something we didn't deserve. And peace. We used to be at war with God. With every sin, we declared war against God. But because of the grace of our Lord, we now have peace with God. As a matter of fact, we're made children of God. So first and foremost, we are to rejoice relentlessly because of our great Lord who purchases us, who sets us apart for special use, and who has given us salvation. Unfortunately, too many times we allow our circumstances to become greater than our Lord. It's supposed to be the other way around. We're supposed to see our Lord and say, wow, This is great. I can have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. But too many times our circumstances suck the joy right out of us. Habakkuk had that problem. Old Testament prophet, God told him, Habakkuk, the Chaldeans are going to come and discipline my people, the Jews. Habakkuk was devastated. Lord, how could this happen? He was distraught. He had no joy. God decided to have a little talk with Habakkuk, straighten him out. And after talking to him, he basically tells him in a nutshell. He tells him, Habakkuk, your problem is is that you're focusing on the circumstances, and not me. You're not focusing on your Lord, the source of your salvation. Habakkuk responds in Habakkuk 3, verse 17 and 18. Let's take a look at that. It's on the screen. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Let, just for a minute there, let's just pause. To put that in modern-day lingo, he's basically saying, though I lost my job, the bank is after my house. My health is a wreck. Yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk learned that regardless of his circumstances, he was to walk in joy as he focused upon his Lord. And we are to do the same. We have a God who has, who has set us apart. He's saved us. He's purchased us with his blood. That's greater than any of our circumstances. If Jesus is not your Lord, then you don't know the greatness of this gift. If, if you have never repented of your sins, if you have never declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come and see me. See one of the, the members of this church and talk to them about, about what it would take to become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. For those of you who are believers, but you know that joy has just been sucked right out of your life, we need to Repent. We need to repent of allowing our circumstances become larger than our Lord. We have been purchased, saved, and set apart. This is reason to rejoice. It's the foundation of why we rejoice day after day in the midst of difficult circumstances. We have our Lord, Jesus Christ. But everybody who has a Lord and Master... Is not to be idle. There's work to be done. So number two, we are to rejoice relentlessly because of the fruit of our gospel labor. In verse three and four of our text, we read, I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Why is he praying with joy? He continues in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's praising them because of partnership. Now this word partnership, koinonia, it's much more than fellowship. Paul's not saying, I rejoice because we got to spend time together in Panera. No, it's way beyond that. This partnership has the idea of working together. They were laboring together in the gospel. And if you look, when did this start? From the first day until now. He goes on, jump down to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They sent a financial gift to Paul. And he praises them for it. And they were partakers with him in the defense and confirmation of the proclamation of the gospel. They were going about gospel labor. Now there's a danger here we can begin to think, we can begin to work in this gospel labor and begin to think, hey, I'm okay with God. I'm doing my gospel labor and drift from the foundation of our gospel Lord. And so I love what Paul does here. In verse 5, he talks about our gospel labor. In verse 7, he talks about gospel labor. And then right between the two, he reminds them that God is laboring in us too. As we work, God's working. Verse 6, he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He reminds them of that foundation. Our salvation is in Christ. That's our foundation. But we are to have fruit from that foundation as we work. And as we as we labor, as we work, we will find joy. That joy is somewhat similar to Finding the perfect job. Let's say the CEO of the world's greatest company comes up to you and says, we want to sign you up for life. Binding contract. You're going to get good pay, great benefits in this fantastic company, and it's for life. So you sign and he signs, and you begin to go to work. Day after day, you go to work, and you don't really work. You just kind of wander around. You play some Tetris. You do this. You do that. After months at this job, are you going to feel like you really belong? No. After a while, you're going to get bored. After a while, you're going to wonder, do I even belong here? Now, you've got the contract but you're not working and you're not going to find any joy there. Now, if you had the contract and you began working with the other people there and you're enjoying working with them, you're seeing the products being being taken care of and being sent out, you're going to find joy in your labor, in your work. Likewise, our joy comes first and foremost from the foundation of our gospel, Lord. But we are not to just hold a ticket to paradise. He is our Lord, and he gives us work to do, real, valuable work to do. We have been set apart to do the labor, the work of God here on earth. What is this work? Well, some people came up to Jesus once and said, what work is it to do? And he said, believe. That's a great place to start. Believe. But there are other things that we are to do as well. We are to encourage one another. We are to reach out to the lost and show them love. We're to do gospel work as we share the gospel, as we encourage one another with the gospel. We have work to do. We're not talking about lifelong jobs in a factory. Brothers and sisters, each one of you is an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are soldiers of God and you have been given a lifelong job to do. As we go about it, we will experience joy as we go about this work that we know that the Lord has given us. We have seen that our Our joy, this this rejoicing that we're supposed to have in our lives comes from the foundation of our gospel Lord, the fruit of gospel labor. But Paul cannot help but mention the fuel or the environment in which joy burns brightly. So next, we rejoice relentlessly because of the fuel of gospel love. Gospel love. Paul understood it's impossible to have joy without love. In verse 8 and 9, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, we typically don't think of love in terms of knowledge and discernment. We think emotion. We think of people who fall in love or fall out of love. But if you think about it, you know, falling is unplanned. I mean, for me it is. I mean, I, I, I think it is for most people. It's unplanned. It's not something you get ready for. Is that what love is? It, love, according to the world, can be here today and boom, gone Tomorrow. It reminds me of one time I took my family to to Golden Corral for lunch and uh, my daughter bought cotton candy or got some cotton candy and I thought I'd show her how it dissolves in, in coffee. And I was expecting the coffee to kind of work its way up into the cotton candy and see it dissolve. And I took this chunk and I said, watch this, dipped it in my coffee and boom, it was just gone instantaneously. You're welcome to try that on your own. Not right now. That's how the love of the world is. You know, we look at statistics about divorce and we say, you know, its divorce rates are going down. That's fantastic. But what about the fact that more and more couples are living together without getting married? Why are they doing that? Because the person that they're with today, that they love today, they may not love tomorrow. Paul tells us that we are to love in knowledge and discernment. This is very different. It's, it's a type of love that looks from a heavenly perspective. It's a love that looks long-term. It's a love that is intentionally sacrificial. It's a love that makes a decision. It's also an emotion. We're not denying the emotional side of things. It's the love of Christ. Think about Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we were unlovely, there was nothing to love about us. Christ died for us. This was a love that was looking from a heavenly perspective. A love that was looking long term. A love that was sacrificial. A love that was a decision. It was, it's this type of love that we are called to walk in. As we walk in this love, we will rejoice. It's like fuel in our lives. It was this type of love that fueled Paul to go on regardless of shipwrecks and hunger and beatings and prison because he loved the saints. And he wanted to share it with them and encourage them. He loved the lost. He wanted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. It was this type of love that caused John Chrysostom, a pastor in the 4th century, to write to his congregation these words. There is nothing I love more than you. No, not even light itself. I would gladly have my eyes put out 10,000 times over. If it were possible by this means to convert your souls so much as your salvation dearer to me than light itself. These men were not fueled by some superficial love that's here today and gone tomorrow. They were fueled by the love of Christ. It gave them joy to go out and go do the work of the Lord. There's a real danger that we have to watch out for. We can stand upon the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be going about the work of our Lord, the labor, and have a diminished love. There's a big danger there. Because then our circumstances become greater than anybody else's. We see other people's needs, but they're not as great as ours. We become calloused to the real needs of others. We become impatient to listen to one another. When this happens, we need to look to Christ. We need to see his love. We need to be reminded Through scripture of how he loved us, even when there wasn't much to love, he chose to love us. And as we walk in that same love, we will find that it's like fuel in our lives. This love that looks from a heavenly perspective, looks long-term, is sacrificial. It is a decision. We can walk with this deep daily joy, Rejoicing relentlessly in the midst of difficult circumstances because of the foundation of our gospel, Lord, and the fruit of gospel labor, and the fuel of gospel love. Is your life a life of joy? Do others describe you as a person of joy? Unfortunately, Too many times we allow that joy to be sucked out of us. And as a result, when our neighbors see us, they don't see anything that they really want. If you were to ask them, do you want to be a Christian? And they look at, they're going to look at you. They're going to look at their neighbor, their Christian neighbor and say, well, I don't know. He looks pretty stressed. I don't. You know, the way he handles his circumstances, I don't see Christianity helping him. Oliver Wendell Holmes, a respected member of the Supreme Court for 30 years, was asked, why did you become a lawyer and eventually judge? Here's how he responded. I might have entered the ministry of certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. They, like many Christians, showed no joy in their lives. Of course he didn't want to become like become a minister. But what about our neighbors? Are they seeing joy in our lives? Do they see a reason to want to become followers of Jesus Christ? One popular theologian questions whether a joyless Christian is really a Christian at all. I think that's a little strong. I think sometimes we just allow our circumstances, like Habakkuk, to, to become greater than our Lord. We need to repent. We need to put things back into perspective. Brothers and sisters, our lives are to be lives of joy. We have been purchased, saved, and set apart by Jesus Christ, our gospel Lord. We have been given real work to do that has eternal meaning, gospel labor. And we have been given the environment in which to make this happen, gospel love, this fuel. How can we have all this and not walk in joy? May we walk rejoicing relentlessly, nonstop, regardless of our circumstances. And may we say to the world around us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we exalt you and praise you for your word, for your spirit, for your son, for the mighty work that you do in our lives. Help us now, O Lord, to embrace this message, to have it mold and shape us that we might be more like your son and our Savior. May we go forth into the world with joy. Joy in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.